Hey, good morning, church. It's great to see you. Um, it's a new day. It's an absolutely new day. Um, have sensed God bringing us even to this very day for an incredible challenge in this room. We were practically weeping, the worship team and I, just in prayer, trembling about what God might do in our church for the fall and for the winter. Um, and taking us through the, the, the book of Acts, Luke's second history book that he wrote to Theophilus that we're going to be in in just a moment. I want to remind you also um, that uh, we are, we really are asking all of you to stay. All of you stay, stay. And you say, well, I, don't, I haven't been to an adult life group in, in months, maybe, maybe years, or where I'm new. Um, just, just, just check one out. All we're going to do is a couple of icebreakers there, get to know each other just a, a tiny little bit. Uh, serve some, some appetizers uh, to get you ready for the luncheon at 12.30 to let you know what one class is all about. But also what we've done is we've provided for you today our Bible study journal. We started doing this, and I told you that we will do it throughout the year. Every sermon series, every passage of Scripture that we go through um, on our Sunday sermons will be in this Bible study journal along with companion study passages. And so we're in Psalms, Proverbs, and the Book of Acts in this study journal and you can make it your discipline to help us achieve one of the goals that we have for the fall, that everyone is in the Word. Uh, Nate was up here, and he was talking about everyone doing life together, that spiritual growth comes and happens in community. And so that's goal number two. And goal number three is going to be what I'm going to be praying throughout the entire message, that we would seek God's face in prayer and worship, that God would speak to us, and that we would res respond to God. Uh, Pastor Jeremy, do you hear that, that tap that I'm getting? I'm getting a little bit of a pop uh, at the end of each sentence. All right, so that's available for you here too. Now, I want to start off by telling you a story because I, um, I've, I've been in Bible study all weekend, it seems. Um, I've been all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament in Bible study and uh, responding to God with my faith. And um, I've been so convinced in the last month and a half of being filled with the Spirit of God. Someone asked me a question, um, how am I doing on Friday night? And I think I answered it for the first time ever in my life that I'm walking in the fullness of God's Spirit. And what a bold place to be when you're in the will of God. What a bold place to be when you sense that your life really is consecrated to God and surrendered to God. And I probably threw that person off just a little bit because that's not the usual answer. You know, good, fine, or average, or whatever is the usual answer. But that was really what I was feeling and thinking is that how wonderful is the Spirit-filled life? And, t and today we're going to be talking a lot as we start the book of Acts that, that, the, that, that the Christian life is impossible. It's impossible. But Jesus makes it possible through His Spirit. You picking up on that? Uh, and so Jesus makes it possible through His Spirit. So I want to tell you a story about something that I did. Let me, let me draw back just a little bit on the mic and see if that helps. All right, there we go. It was me the whole time. All right. So um, I, uh, as a youth pastor, I started a testimony team, a, a training team that was getting ready to run the annual 10K in the fall in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I took students from my student ministry and a couple of youth workers, and we organized and we, we prepared for eight consecutive Saturdays 
for this 10K. We would run two miles the first Saturday, two and a half, three, three and a half, four, four and a half, five, five and a half, six, and we would be ready for this 10K that was coming. And we called it a testimony team because we were going to study the Word of God every time we got together on Saturday mornings. We were going to pray together. We were going to strengthen each other and encourage one another. We had this girl named Autumn that was on the testimony team. And she liked running, but she was a slow runner. And by the third or fourth week, we started having this problem with shin splints, pain in her legs when she would run. And so our testimony team training would last way beyond 10.30 in the morning because Autumn was very slow finishing the final laps to get back to point and place of beginning. Until finally we got to a week before the race, and I said, Autumn, do you really think it's a good idea for you to run this race? And she says, I want to do it. I've been working with this team the whole time. I want to do it. And I said, okay, Autumn, but, uh, but please be careful. And so I'm eager to get up there to the starting line because I want to get finished so that I can welcome each member of the testimony team coming in at the end of the 10K. So I'm up there at the starting line. I'm ready to go, and I see Autumn, and I wave at her, and I see some of the other runners um, that are on the team, and I wave at them, and off we go. And fortunately, praise the Lord, I made it to the finish line myself, turned around and started to wait and welcome those runners that came in. 50 minutes, 55 minutes, 60 minutes, and now it's really slow. There's very few people still coming in. 70 minutes, 72 minutes. 78 minutes, 80 minutes, and I still do not see autumn anywhere. I start panicking. I start basically just jogging a quarter of a mile out from, from the finish line to see if I can see her anywhere. I think, oh gosh, what are her parents uh, going to say when I drive home in the church van and I don't have her on the van because I can't find her? Did she make a wrong turn? Did she stop for breakfast? What did she do? Where is this girl? And finally, at the 88th minute, of the race, I see her a hundred yards away, and she's walking with this other girl. She gets to the finish line, and of course, I'm in a panic. Autumn, where have you been? Autumn, what are you doing? Autumn, what's going on? Are you okay? And Autumn says, Pastor Clint, I want to introduce you to Elizabeth. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior on the fifth mile. And I just was struck that I could do so much, do so much that I thought I was doing for God, and yet still miss the most powerful moment that the Spirit had for that day. She didn't run very, very fast, but she was walking with the Spirit of God. She met Elizabeth because Elizabeth had twisted her ankle on the second mile, and they decided to walk together, and then they asked what each other's lives were about, and Autumn told her what her life was all about. She told her about the testimony team, and told her about how their, her life was all about Jesus, and Elizabeth asked questions to where finally Autumn, because the time was there, and because Autumn was available, because Autumn was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, this young lady came to know Christ as her Savior. It's a new day when you live by the Spirit of God. It's a powerful day when you live by the Spirit of God, right? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, starting in verses 1 through 8. I'm going to invite Katrina Beyer to be our lead reader of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, out of respect and reverence for God's holy word. Let's stand together as we anticipate God speaking to us and breaking through the dullness of our own flesh and spiritually reaching us
with the revelation of his word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. So I want you to look around this room right now. I want to look, look around this room right now because in this room are a bunch of people that could at any moment have the power of God work through them and work in them because they have God's Spirit. We are a gospel-centered church here at First Baptist Church of Zealand. It means that we want to center our lives and we want to center our ministry around the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's where the power of God is. It's in the gospel. It means that we recognize that we were once sinners separated from God and we need a Savior. And we turned to Jesus who was that sacrifice that God sent so that he could become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so if you have done that, that makes you a Christian and it also makes a person makes you a person that has been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of our complete redemption. You are marked in this new covenant period that God created through his son Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. You are marked in this new covenant period by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament. And even Jesus will say in Luke chapter 24 that the Holy Spirit will come upon these disciples. But he will also teach that the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you, John chapter 17. It's a new day that's going to be happening here in the book of Acts as God establishes his church through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does Acts begin? Acts begins in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and before his ascension. The scripture teaches in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, and in Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus spent 40 days after he was resurrected and appeared to as many as 500 witnesses, but closely spent time with his, with his closest group of disciples, the very witnesses to his resurrection. That's where Acts begins. It, it's not a start of a book. It's the completion of one. It's the completion of the gospel of Luke. It's his second book. And so it happens also before the ascension of Christ. And what are the major themes that we're going to be seeing here, even in chapter 1 of, of Acts, uh, 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 in this Acts series? One major theme is going to be the Holy Spirit, demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit as he works through individuals. As Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to my Father and I send you my Spirit, he taught in the Gospel of John. The Scripture points us to Messiah. In the Old Testament, we're told 
that a Messiah is going to come and, and, and God's kingdom is going to come through this Messiah. But not only is Messiah going to save, but God is going to create a new people that are marked in a special way. And we are that new people, the church, marked by the Spirit of God. So Jesus promises his Spirit. The Old Testament promised a new way of knowing God from our insides, Jeremiah 31. Everyone shall know the Lord when they're asked about the Lord. There will be an internal testimony that comes from the Spirit of God in the people of God who are the ones who have the Spirit of God. They're the ones who can live by the Spirit and can be launched by the Spirit of God in His power. Luke 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is resurrected Christ. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power would have been something that they would have known from the Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit had, had dramatically come upon certain individuals or in, in judges, how uh, certain judges, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were clothed with power. And that promised Holy Spirit is now associated with all of the kingdom of God talk that we're going to see in Acts that in all the kingdom of God talk that Jesus was having with these disciples for those 40 days that he spent with them before he ascended into heaven. And so in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, take a look. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There is an experience of the very presence of holy God inside of us from the Spirit, but there's also the objective reality of truth that comes to us by this Spirit. In this church age, where church starts now, right in the book of Acts, there is this new covenant that we are living in, in. and it is marked by a born-again experience, something that Jesus is helping to describe in this passage and in other passages, like when he told Nicodemus, he goes, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. This church age is a born-again experience where our old life dies with Christ. Our old life of sin and our nature of sin dies with Christ, and we're raised to new life, and we are baptized in, as verse 5 of chapter 1 of Acts is going to teach, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus internally because you have surrendered your life to him by giving up your sins to God, repenting of them, and asking for God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, then you are born again. You've been made alive from being dead in your sins. You have a new life and you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And in this born again experience, Jesus is going to say in chapter 1 that he promises to tie our lives to his mission and his purpose. Where are you receiving instruction for your life? How are you setting your goals? What, if somebody asked you, what are you all about? What would you say here this morning? 
Is your purpose to be a witness, to have the full experience of Christ in you through the Spirit so that you might walk in the Spirit's power and be a witness to a lost world? Then surely, surely then, a core truth to the mission of Jesus is fullness of the Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. As Peter preaches in the book of Acts, as Stephen preaches, as Paul speaks in the book of Acts, we were reminded several times over that they are filled with the Spirit. Even Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Acts, it says, He taught them through the Spirit. Jesus had this, the Spirit's power and accompaniment, even in His teaching ministry in this time with those disciples. While there may have been special anointings of the Spirit upon those men, Peter and Paul and Stephen in the book of Acts, they demonstrate that the Spirit is powerful and the Spirit can use us to be His witnesses. The revolution of God began not with their preaching, but with their regeneration, with their filling with the Spirit. You say, I want to be principled. I want to be purposed. I want, I, want to, I want to get on mission with Jesus. If you want to get on mission with Jesus, then it's going to require you receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Your Christian life, even if you want to please God, is impossible without the help of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's ministry is one of the major themes. Another major theme is this. The unstoppable witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the newly created church. The unstoppable witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the newly created church. And um, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And surely we see that in the lives of Peter and John early in Acts, then in the life of Peter, then in the life of Paul as we close out the latter half of Acts, that the Spirit of God comes upon them, the Spirit of God uses these witnesses to testify to the kingdom of God. And I already said it, the Christian life is hard. The Christian life is actually impossible. It cannot be done on our own, but Jesus promised that he can live that impossible life through us because the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, promises God's spirit to us. The unstoppability of the witness of the gospel is because Jesus is the one that is on mission through us. And so at the end of verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of of the earth. Get ready to jump in your seats. Boom! Boom! Right there. Right there. Jesus declares that we will be used by God. Right there. Jesus concludes that no, the church is not for consumption. The church is not for fans of God or for hoarders of God. The church is not even for you to find a place where you, quote, fit in. But we are to be messengers. We are to be sharers. We are to be witnesses of God. The word there for witnesses, it means in a legal sense to testify to the real truth and to offer the real proof. And that's what's going to happen in the book of Acts as we see all of these characters paraded in front of us in the book of Acts. We're going to see people that testify to the truth and their, their lives back it up with real proof. 
And hopefully, hopefully, the revelation of God's word as it comes to our hearts will move us and the spirit of God will draw us to that same compelling, to that same desire and we'll say, oh God, let me be one who testifies to your truth and lives out your proof. Are we truly witnesses since we didn't see the resurrected Lord? I mean, weren't these guys the special ones and all of this special Holy Spirit talk? And isn't it just about those first century Christians? Well, yes, certainly there was special anointing and special happenings that occurred through the Spirit in the first century. But I defy you to find anywhere in the Bible any type of instruction other than the instruction that says that you and I must live by the Spirit of God and walk in God's power with the help of God's Spirit. We have that testimony, and we have that witness. And John Piper says, and how do we know that that promise of the Spirit of powers for us is because he says there, in the very key theme of the entire book of Acts in 1.8, you will be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. all the way to Zealand, all the way to Canada, all the way to Malaysia, all the way where Joy and Femi are ministering in the Philippines, all the way where Daryl and Becky Martin, our newest missionaries that uh, we're supporting, are going to mentor and train up people in the 1040 window to share the gospel everywhere. Greg Matt, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, says this. He says, don't ever write off the church. Some have already written off the church as a failed institution in this postmodern world. Some have lost any sense of purpose with the church. But with spirit-empowered people who will live from the kingdom of God in their hearts, the church is unstoppable. Here is an amazing thing that we, we just, I know that God wants us to grasp here this morning, is this. How far are we away from being the church that God wants us to be? Look to your insides. People say, well, we need a church with vision. We need a church with this. We need a church that's doing all this. What we need is people that are surrendered to God, who are living out the kingdom of God by the reign of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what we need. That's what God is calling us to here. So let's bring it to our neighborhood just for a moment. Acts 1, 1 through 8. Look especially at verses 2 through 6. Until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself to them alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus gave instructions through the Spirit. You see that in verse 2. And what two things were emphasized? He presented himself alive, and he gave many proofs. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Jesus literally had to take these men and convince them, I'm alive. And then he taught them about the kingdom of God. 
In that teaching about the kingdom of God, he said, look, I am the kingdom of God. No, we don't have to set up an earthly reign of a literal king right now, but I am beginning a reign. The kingdom of God is going to start with you. It's going to start with the church. And it's coming through me. Can we remind ourselves this morning that Jesus is alive? Can we remind ourselves this morning that the only one that we need as a ruler, the only one that we need to reign is King Jesus who is alive and is over the church of Jesus Christ? It wasn't just knowledge that these men gained from Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, but it was convincing knowledge. He convinced them that he was alive. Convincing knowledge that compelled them to give their whole lives to this kingdom that he taught about. And so it became commands that they obeyed. Remember he said, remain in Jerusalem. Why is that significant? They didn't live in Jerusalem. They were men from Galilee. They were ready to go home, ready to huddle with their wives, especially after all the trauma that they had been through, three and a half years with Jesus. And they obey. Have you heard Jesus through the word of God explain to you that he is the kingdom of God and that he's the king of that kingdom of God so that you would say, Jesus, reign in me. I want your kingdom. H.F. Fernando from Youth for Christ, he says this, for our witness to be effective, it must come out first as first-hand knowledge of the risen Christ. And this is where it all attaches to our mission statement as a church, to know Christ and to make him known. Do you know Christ well enough to make him known? Do you know and understand the kingdom of God is Jesus, and are you living that kingdom for Jesus? Do you know it well enough to be able to make him known? And that kingdom that I want so badly to come to me, so badly to be used by me, that kingdom is not going to work in me until it rules over me. And so, would you say to God even right now, God, I'm going to take the time to receive instruction from Jesus. I'm going to take the time to receive teaching from Jesus about the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm going to look hard at my king, King Jesus, so that I really understand the kingdom of God and I have the kingdom of God ruling and reigning over me so that it would reach people through me. There's this young lady, uh, she's now in her 30s, but her name is Amy, and I met her at Johnny and Friends the first year that I ever attended Johnny and Friends. Amy was out jogging in her freshman year of college in Georgia, and she was struck by a teenager who had taken his dad's car truck out of the, uh, out of the garage. He was 14 years old, and he went joyriding, and he struck her as she was jogging down the road. Her body was thrown 60 yards into a field. She was in a coma for 60 days, and after she woke up, they found out that she was deaf, that she barely had any mobility in her arms and legs. But over a long, long, excruciating period of time, Amy, a follower of Jesus Christ, learned how to use her hands again, learned how to even form a few words with her mouth, learned how to see better out of one eye, and learned how to eventually walk. She showed us a video one time. You think Autumn took a long time to do her 10K? Amy took 12 minutes to go 100 meters.
And as I saw God working through Amy, I said, why couldn't God use Amy to reach a few students in the student ministry at my church? And I brought her to my church. And her sister had to stand beside her because her sister had to sign to her because if a student asked her a question, Amy couldn't hear anything. And so, was, so her sister would sign to her. But Amy, who knew all these limitations of her body and knew she wasn't going to be able to give a, a polished message, she just stuck to the core. I am a follower of Jesus. God loves me. I gave my sins to God, and Jesus saved me. And at the conclusion of that meeting, an appeal was made, and two students gave their lives to Christ as their Savior. Yeah, we need the kingdom ruling in us. We need the Spirit working through us. And how do we know that the disciples obeyed Jesus' commands? Why did the disciples have to wait? Don't get ahead of God. Waiting is a grand part of obedience to God. An inability or a refusal to wait on God can have good intentions that are very destructive. Will you be the kind of person that receives again and again the rule and reign of Jesus, the kingdom of God, through his instruction, through his teaching and the word of God, so that you could live by the power of God. Would you do that? This mug right here uh, is 26 years old. And uh, it's, 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 yeah, no, it's, it's 24, excuse me, years old. It's really old because this mug belonged to a special invitation that we extended to football players in South Charlotte when Frank Reich became the first quarterback ever to quarterback the Carolina Panthers. And we met Frank, and we knew that Frank was a follower of Jesus Christ. He led the largest comeback ever in playoff history still to this day uh, for uh, the Buffalo Bills. Um, and, uh, and so uh, Frank came to speak at this big dinner that we held at Calvary Church. We ended up having over 200 football players attend this special dinner. And uh, Frank shared the gospel there. We had cards and, and people filled out those cards. And we followed up with several of those players to help them learn how to ha have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I, I keep this mug at my house. I refuse to get rid of it even though it's, it's just it's, it's soap stained. It's just, it's just old. And the reason why I keep it is because of the conversation that I had with, with Frank Reich after, after that night. The very same week, Frank Reich had been playing so poorly as the starting quarterback of the Carolina Panthers that the head coach went to him and said, we're benching you. The very same week. So all of us, we would think it would be a really, really cool thing to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and get all that glory. We, 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 we love it. We, we love it that Kirk Cousins is representing Jesus so well in what he's doing. So Frank had this just moment with me and another youth pastor where he said, yeah, I've had to come to terms with God's purpose for my, li my life might not be to get a whole lot of glory as the, as the Panthers quarterback, but just that he brought me here to Charlotte to tell more people about Jesus. Frank was out of the NFL a year later and he started a church in Charlotte. And he raised up people to lead that church. But then Frank started being used to meet with athletes to work on their character development. And he brought the gospel into that character development training and teaching. And you know what Frank Reich is doing right now? He's the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts.
he is still leading dozens of players to Jesus through his life work. But Frank Reich was surrendered to what God's spirit had for him. Not what would have been a great plan or a great idea that he could have come up with on his own. Frank never led the Panthers to the playoffs. He never really did anything fantastic for the Carolina Panthers. He's one of the most forgettable quarterbacks that have ever played as a starter for the Carolina Panthers. But angels know about him. Heaven knows about him. The church of Jesus Christ knows about him. And so let's talk just for a minute about the reign of Jesus over God's kingdom. Are you kingdom-minded like that? Are you kingdom-hearted like that? God's kingdom, it belongs to Jesus. And so you and I, we ought to belong to Jesus. You can tell who kingdom-minded people are. They see their worlds through God's plans and through God's kingdom. They want God to do something right now, and they're willing to be the ones used right now. They live like Jesus is their living king right now. Is that you? Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Corinthians teaches that Jesus will one day deliver the kingdom of God over to his Father. When every enemy has been defeated, Jesus reigns over God's kingdom. Does God's kingdom reign over you through Jesus? And let's talk about, just for a moment, the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us? It means mission. It means messengers. It means hope. It means we're included in this global takeover of the gospel. It means that God has power for us and that God will use us. God's kingdom, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, is going to advance through his witnesses. I, you will receive power through the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. People that Jesus recreates that are born again into the church of Jesus Christ have that power from the Holy Spirit to be God's witnesses. Can we say this morning our purpose in life is to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are going to see chronicled before us for weeks, for Sundays ahead, ordinary people that become extraordinary when they join Jesus' mission team. Would you be willing to be one of those people? Would you say right here in your heart and prayer to God right now, say, God, I want the kingdom of God to reign through Jesus in me. God, I want the power of your spirit working in me. That might mean repentance. It might mean giving up sin. It might mean waiting on the Lord and learning more about Jesus and his kingdom so that his kingdom would shape your heart and make you more like Jesus. Would you do that? Let's pray for that right now. Father, we pray that we would be kingdom people. We pray that we would be led of your spirit people, empowered by your spirit people. God, forgive us for making plans out of our own lives rather than being so kingdom-minded and purpose that we would allow your spirit to tell us how to live. 
God, would you renew the hearts of your people at First Baptist Church? Would you fill us with your spirit and make us powerful on this earth? Convince us again that we are messengers, ambassadors of the gospel of the living King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.